0: It was 23 years ago in this very room within this very hour that Amy and I took our wedding vows. We made a covenant before both God and men that we would seek to honor God, to love one another, and to help one another through this life. And while we are certainly not flawless in Any area of our lives, by God's grace, we have kept that commitment. And I rejoice. Marriage is such a wonderful benefit provided to us by God. You'll remember the setting of the first marriage in Genesis chapter 2. There's Adam. Among all the glorious things that God has made, beautiful foliage, incredible uh, scenery, amazing animals, and, and, and they're coming by and He's naming these animals. And with all of the glory around, Adam realized there was no one compatible, suitable for him. That's the context. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. We won't read verse 25 as delightful as it is. Of all of the places that we find the genuineness of our faith, the home is at the top of the list you want to see the new life on display, that genuineness of new life must take place within the confines of the home. What you are in your own environment is what you are. What you are in your home is who you are. If you are stubborn, cranky, impatient, unkind, overbearing, and or rude in your house, that is who you are. We can cover up our misery when we are around people. We might want others to think well of us. Now of course, we all at times, are led by our flesh rather than the Spirit, and this will result in demonstrations of sin. But if we are truly concerned about putting the new life on display, we must be of first importance desirous of putting the new life on display when no one else is looking but your housemates, your husband or wife, Your children or your parents must be our first priority. Brothers and sisters, seek to demonstrate the new life that God has given to you in your home by presenting your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Head over to Romans chapter 6, please. This has been our text. We've been reading through Romans chapter 6 time and again. I am sure it is impacting you the way it is impacting me. I see the truth and I want it to be embedded within me. We're, we are again going to read through verses 1 through 14 so that it will again be refreshing to us. Before we do that, I want to go over the, um, the principles that we're seeing from it. The principles are secondary to the actual reading of the text, but I want for us to see these principles as we read the text. What we've noticed thus far is that believers should not and cannot live in sin, according to verses 1 and 2. Believers have been eternally united with Jesus Christ, from verses 3 through 5. That believers have been given new life that we should walk in, in verse 4. Believers are no longer in bondage to sinful passions, according to verses 6 and 7. That believers are guaranteed eternal life, according to verse 8. That believers have been freed from sin's tyranny by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's verses 9 and 10. That believers are enabled to live for the glory of God, that's the second part of verse 10. So all of that is is factual. These are all indicatives, meaning statements of truth, statements of reality. As you get to verses 11, 12, and 13, we have a bunch of imperatives. These are commands. And so the way that we state the principles changes significantly from statements of facts to commands. And so our eighth principle we've learned is that believers must understand this divine accomplishment according to verse 11. That believers must apply God's work in this present age, according to verse 12. And that believers must place themselves under the authority of God, according to verse 13. And then a statement of fact again in verse 14: believers have new power. Okay, with that being said, I want to read through this text. You're familiar with it. But don't lose your wonder. Don't lose your wonder of what God has done and what we've been unleashed then to do. Verse 1, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? These truths are uh, delightful to us, knowing what God has done for us and what He has enabled us to do. He's given us a new way, a new life. And we should live in that newness of life. But in order to live in that newness of life, we we can't live under the old ruler of the law. And we can't live under the old ruler of our sinful passions. We have to live under a new ruler. Grace. Grace. And that grace comes through a person. That person is the person of the Holy Spirit. The third member of the triune Godhead. God has given us His Spirit to enable us to live a new life. And so we've been trying to understand how that fleshes out. Because it's great to talk about new life. We should. But to see it actually come onto display... In this life in very specific ways is vitally important because I can feel really good about myself as I sit here and see what God has done on my behalf and think about these uh, theological truths that should enable good things in my life but if I don't think about my actual life and my actual experience well is it really working its way out is the new life on display and so we've been looking at the book of Ephesians to help us to examine areas that would display that new life. So head over to the book of Ephesians chapter 4 with me. These truths should be demonstrated in real life. And thus far in our study, we have noted these ways that the new life must be on display in the lives of believers. We should be noted for truth-telling rather than falsehood from Ephesians 4.25. We should be noted for respect rather than anger. Chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. We should be noted for sharing rather than stealing. Ephesians 4.28 We should be noted for building up rather than tearing down. Ephesians 4.29 This is in our speech um, specifically applied in verse 29. We should be noted in verses 30 through 32 for kindness and love rather than bitterness and hate. Now, if we were going to do a deep dive, uh, we would consider these ways in chapter 5, verses 1 through 21 sacrifice rather than selfishness. If you want to capture these quickly, you can take out your camera and take a quick little snapshot. Uh, In Verses 3 through 14, purity and light rather than corruption and darkness. In chapter 5, verses 15 through 17, wisdom rather than confusion. And in verses 18 through 21, spirit filled rather than substance controlled. We are not doing a deep dive because. It could take us the rest of our days to do this deep dive. We're trying to find very specific areas that we can uh, demonstrate this. And so we're going to move right to the second half of Ephesians chapter 5 where we're going to see these four this morning. Now, I don't know if we're going to get through all four, but we're going to do our best. Um, And I'm going to have them all displayed, I think, all at once here. Submission rather than subversion. Ephesians five twenty-two to twenty-four, loving rather than loafing; Ephesians five twenty-five to twenty-nine, respect rather than rebellion; Ephesians six one through three, and training rather than tantrums; Ephesians six four. These all relate to how the new life fleshes out in our homes. That first concept, submission rather than subversion, is with regard to the wife's role in the home. Now, remember, this all comes on the heels of being filled with the Spirit. So we're not asking you to do this of your own strength. We're we're mentioning that this is what happens when a a woman, a wife, is filled with the Spirit and uh, operating in her proper role. There'll be submission rather than subversion and the husband, in verses 25 to 29, will be loving his wife sacrificially, lovingly, kindly, respectfully, rather than loafing, being lazy, rather than being selfish, rather than being neglectful. He will lovingly care for his wife. As we already talked about in our children's lesson this morning, that there will be respect from children rather than rebellion. There will be obedience and honor rather than self-will and disrespect. This will happen through the display of the new life. And then, training rather than tantrums. A little self-evident and a little play on words there. The responsibility of the father is to instruct, to admonish, to train, to nurture his children rather than provoke them. And so now you can take that tantrum about what happens when he provokes his children or you can find that his tantrums are what provoke the anger in the child. Training rather than tantrums. It is essential to understand as we think through this and we're going to really look at the husband-wife- Uh, element of displaying the new life in tandem. We're going to look at it together, so just follow me in this. It is essential to understand that God created all human beings in His image. And therefore, all lives, this is male or female, this is adult or child, this is black or white, This is slave or free, all lives are sacred, inherent with dignity, and deserving of respect. This is true from a parent to a child, as well as from a child to a parent. This is true from a husband to a wife, as well as a wife to her husband. This is true of those in the workplace that are under the authority of a boss and those who are the boss over a worker. Respect, mutual, God-honoring respect is due to every man, woman, and child. It is also essential to understand that God prescribes order in relationships. Order in relationships. This order does not in any way diminish the value or dignity of those in a submissive role. And what I would say, the best way to demonstrate this fact of unity among order is in the very triune Godhead. The triune Godhead. The Bible is clear that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are co-equal, co-existent, and co-eternal. The Bible could not be a lot clearer on this matter. It tells us time and again of the deity of all three members of the Godhead. It's very clear. And yet, among that Divine essence, the Godhead, three persons, one God, there is order in the Godhead. So much so that the Son clearly dwells in submission to the will of the Father. He makes it clear time and again that I have come to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. And it's very clear that the Spirit of God has been issued forth from the Father and the Son and bears witness to the Son. All three members of the the Godhead are equal in their divine nature. And yet there's order the first person of the triune Godhead is the Father. The second person of the triune Godhead is the Son. And the third person of the triune Godhead is the Spirit. There's order amongst that unity. One day, the Bible tells us that Jesus will turn the entirety of the kingdom back over to God. And listen to how it says it that God may be all in all. First. Corinthians 15.28 So there's equality, and yet there are roles. Equality, but roles. It's true in the divine Godhead. It's true in the church of Jesus Christ. There are many members, one body. And yet God has ordained leadership in the church. And so there's a order amongst equality. The pastor is not a better person than you. He's not a more special person than you. He has been granted a role, entrusted with a role, and enabled for a role. And therefore there's equality, but order. Well, the same thing comes into the household. The Bible makes it very clear that there is equality between male and female, husband and wife, Child and parent, parent and child, but there is order in the home. Now, listen carefully to this. This is a, a beautiful statement to help us to understand this because Paul spells it out crystal clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3. But I want you to understand, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is not man, but is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. You see that? It's, it's crystal clear. Jesus is my divine head. God is His head. In the home, the husband is the head of the wife. This is how he spells it out in 1 Corinthians 11. Ephesians chapter. Uh, Five in Colossians chapter 3, in Titus chapter 2. He says it, and He says it, and He says it for clarity. God's design for marriage is fulfilling and beautiful. If you are living in a Spirit-filled marriage, in a Christ-honoring marriage, in a Gospel-exalted marriage, you know how fulfilling it is. And you know how beautiful this design is. When the roles of marriage are lovingly, selflessly, humbly carried out, the entire family unit is blessed. The entire family unit is blessed. It is a glorious thing to behold. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 and following, we want to take a look there, please. The Bible is going to tell us that a wife is to submit to her husband. This is to place herself under his care, under his protection, under his love, under his leadership. Listen to what it says. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife even as... Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Look down at verse 33. However, let each of you, each one of you, love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is clear. Yet there is a tendency. After the fall of man, after Adam and Eve's sinfulness, there's a tendency for a wife to come out from under this protective measure that God has provided for her. And God told her, told Eve, that she would have this battle. God let her know right from the start, this is going to be difficult for you. The Bible says as part of God's Proclamation of punishment and hope. Punishment and hope after their fall. Listen to what God said to the woman in Genesis 3.16. To the woman He said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband. But he shall rule over you. This is what God says from the start. You're going to have a desire to come underneath the protection, underneath the care, underneath the guidance of your husband. You're going to have this tendency. It's similar to what God told Cain after he brought the wrong kind of an offering. He said, if you do well, you're not going to have any problem. Won't you be accepted? But if you choose another way, just know this, sin lies at the door. And then he said, its desire is contrary to you, but you shall rule over it. Sin wants to rule over, it wants to fight against us. That's the same expression that God uses when He says to Eve, your desire will be contrary to your husband. You won't want to come underneath His authority and His protection. So the Bible actually gives us a lot of instruction in this regard. We only have time for just a little bit of it. Take a look, please, at Titus chapter 2. The Bible implies, at the very least, that the function of a wife can wear on her to the point that feeling and tenderness can be lost. I hear a song coming on. You've lost that. Yeah, you got it. So you're stuck with it now. All day, it's going to roll around in the back of your mind. I used to sing it to my, to my girlfriend at the time. There's no tenderness like before. Yeah, you know I love it wonderful. I can can go really well with the falsetto, but I will spare you the uh, torture. What the Bible tells us is that through the course of day in and day out, you know, you call it the grind, there can be a function over feeling. Function over feeling that can take place and once that feeling is going maybe you deaden the nerves a little bit you've got calluses on your hands from doing the yard work you don't feel it anymore but you keep on doing it well that's not good in relationships it's great for yard work great if you're uh, working construction and you have calluses on your hands that you don't feel that the blisters they don't come anymore but in a relationship, losing the feeling is not a good thing. And so, God has given instruction to try to insulate women from losing their feeling for their husband and children from fulfilling their function that wears on them. Listen to what he says beginning in verse 3 of Titus chapter 2. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to uh, teach what is good. And so, train the young women, listen to what it says, to love their husbands and children. Now when I was a young man, I was responsible to teach through this, and I could not for the life of me figure out why that's there. Like when I think as a as a as a boy and a young man, I think mommy, tender, daddy, rough. That's what I think. Wife, tender, sweet, loving, nurturing, husband, other. So when I had to teach through this, I actually asked some older ladies for some insight. Help me to understand why he says this. And I had already asked my wife and she gave me a great answer. I asked some older ladies and they said the same thing she said. But I had to ask some older ladies uh, so that I could confirm what their thinking was. It's an interesting thing. The word that Paul uses and God uses for to love their husbands is philandros. Now, if it said agapandros, I wouldn't have asked anyone any questions. Agape means to love unconditionally. Okay, That's hard. Because when someone punches you in the face and you're then responsible to still love them, unconditionally. It's very difficult. This is a divine agape love. It's, it's I love you, not because of something in you, but because of something that is right because of who God is. I love you with His love because of who He is. Agape. If, if, if that said agape andros, love your husband like God loves uh, sinners, I wouldn't have any questions about this. But it says phil Andros and phil is philos or phile and it has the idea of tender affection and my mind immediately thinks woman nurture woman tender woman uh they love relationships and they foster relationships and they fan the flame of relationships and those kinds of things so when the bible says for for a wife uh, an older lady to teach a younger lady to love, to tenderly care for her husband, I find that to be a little strange, and and I, and to do the same thing for their children, I find that to be a little strange because it, it, I just see it as kind of a natural tendency, except after the 177,000th diaper change, it might get a little old, and after whatever other function, whether you want to call it making a meal or cleaning or something like this, that. In your home, uh, a wife may function and it it might get a little old. And if there's no demonstration of mutual love, respect, and care that comes in all directions, after doing that time and time again with with very little appreciation, it can get to like, okay, uh, this is a function rather than a loving duty. So, the reason we bring these two things up is there are obstacles available to a wife to live submissively rather than subversively. Uh, And those things are to come out from underneath the care of her husband and to lose feeling, to lose tender affection. And it's not only the role of the wife that is presented with challenges, but the husband's role is also filled with challenges. There are challenges that come because selfishness comes so naturally to us. We're back in Ephesians chapter 5. The call in Ephesians 5 for the husband is to love, to protect, to lead his wife. Selfishness comes naturally to all of us. And the first element of the husband's role is to selflessly, sacrificially love his wife. Look at verse 25. Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Selfishness comes naturally. There's a great deal of energy that is required to selflessly, sacrificially, lovingly lead. It becomes... There's so much that is covered under the husband's role. There's a lot of ground that it touches upon. One husband may be great at one type of sacrificial love and really terrible at another. Perhaps you are a fix-it guy. You keep everything up and running in your house as a way to demonstrate your love. I commend you. That's great and that's helpful. But you are also responsible to care for her spiritual well-being. And if you neglect that, if you don't have energy left for that, you will fail at what is most important. If you put the shoe on the other foot and you emphasize spiritual things, that's great and you've dealt with the most important issues... But if you have neglected physical, emotional, and other needs, then you have come up short. Caring for people in any environment, in any role, requires consideration of their whole being. I want you to think about this for a moment. Their whole being. This is exactly how the Bible describes God's care for us. At the end of 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5 and verse 23, Paul's prayer is that may the God of peace Himself sanctify you. And he says, in your body, in your soul, and in your spirit. That's considering your whole being. He, Paul's prayer is that God would sanctify us in every conceivable element of our being. And then he concludes it in verse 24, that, that immediate concept. And He says, Faithful is He who has called you who also will do it. He's going to care for us spiritually, emotionally, and physically. And that's exactly what I'm saying about the husband's role. In, in caring, in loving, in leading, in guiding, in protecting your wife, it's not one area... It's her whole being. And we have a problem. Selfishness. Selfishness and laziness are both obstacles to a husband's uh, care in the roles that God has given him. You might balk at me saying um, laziness is a potential stumbling block. Maybe you think, well, I'm not lazy. And I'd say that most people are not lazy entirely. There are examples, I'm sure, of people that are lazy entirely. But most people are not lazy entirely. We have things that that we're interested in, and so we invest energy in those things and leave other things undone. I unfortunately have an, uh, an illustration of this. This morning I went out and I bought some breakfast anniversary so I bought my wife a little souffle and I got my kids something too. I was coming back and I was driving back by the house and I looked over and I saw on the stairs a sign upside down next to my fence post. Um, It's my son's, he graduated from Warwick area technical blah 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 thing. It's sitting there upside down next to my, my guardrail. I'm thinking yeah if I were not lazy I would have picked that up by now. Well, it's out of, out of sight, out of mind. Well, yeah, but if you really do, if you're really thoughtful, you know, as soon as you see it, when you get out of the car, instead of going inside, you walk 10 extra steps and grab that so it's not still sitting out there. So this, this actually came into my mind this morning and I still didn't do it. You see where I'm telling you, I'm not a lazy person. Like, I think you know that. I work hard, I work hard, for you, I work hard for my family. I work hard for the military. I work hard. I'm a hard-working person. But that is an element of laziness. So even hard-working people can demonstrate laziness. And, brothers and sisters, I don't think that that's a problem. I don't think my wife is th- thinking, oh, I'm not being well cared for because my husband didn't carry that sign in. It's just an illustration that you can be hardworking in one area and lazy in another. And laziness in a relationship Is a killer. It's a killer. There are areas that we find important, so we work hard in those areas, but in other areas that we're not interested in, they may find um, a person may find regular excuses for why they don't get the job done. So a husband may struggle with selfishness or laziness. A wife might uh, struggle coming underneath the protective care of her husband, uh, watching God work in Him and through Him, and may struggle with tenderness. These are object- obstacles that come into our relationships. And we could find all kinds of physical, earthly, fleshly means to correct these potential problems, couldn't we? The counseling rooms are filled with these fleshly resolutions. But there is something that's far greater you see if you find a fleshly solution to your marital issues it's almost like taking a band-aid and putting it on a compound fracture now you know what a compound fracture is you don't want to think about it too long but you know that a band-aid is not going to get this done and that's what happens brothers and sisters when we have a marital problem And we try to fix it with earthly, fleshly means. There is a better way. There is a a perfect way. Neither my wife nor I am perfect. That, That I am well aware of. She's far closer toward perfection than I am. But we're not perfect. But one of the things that we have recognized in the course of our marriage is that you don't fix spiritual problems with physical means we need spiritual help to address spiritual challenges so when you look at what the bible says are the results of the spirits working and the results of the words working you'll see the solutions that are needed for laziness selfishness subversiveness, and non-feeling. I want for us to look at three passages of Scripture, and I think that's going to be all we have time for this morning. Take a look at Galatians 5 to begin with. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time in these passages, just enough for us to see that the Spirit-filled, Word-filled man or woman will live out characteristics that will demonstrate... A good marital spouse. In Galatians 5, look at verses 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Could you operate? in those without feeling? Can you operate in those and be abrasive? Can you operate in those and be lazy? Selfish? So what's the real solution? What's the real solution when there's difficulty in a marital relationship? Oh, well, we have to go to 17 sessions and use the speaker listener technique card i had to learn that i actually had to teach it and you get the tile now and you've got your 5 minutes you tell me what you're thinking and i'll repeat to you what it is that i heard you say so you know that you've been heard like all right if you really have like that much problem talking maybe you need some extra help and you need the speaker listener technique and we'll pass the card back and forth uh it's a rather cumbersome way to have a conversation. How about this one? God, I'm really selfish. And I'm really stubborn. And I'm not patient. I'm not kind. Something's wrong with me. It's really easy to say, my wife is not kind and my wife is not Patient, and my wife is not, uh, and my wife is so easy. And guess what you've accomplished after you listed all of that? More turmoil. There's a little song in Patch the Pirate. I don't know if it's uh, outside of Patch the Pirate. It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. You ever hear that one? I'm the problem. I'm the one that's not exhibiting love or kindness or gentleness or faithfulness or self-control. I'm the one that's not being uh, patient or peaceful in a relationship. Deal. You and the Lord. Confess your sin and say, dear Lord, I need your spirit. I need your spirit to fill me because I know what comes out. I know what the evidence is when your spirit fills me. Take a look now at James chapter 3. Now the context of James chapter 3 is a, a wise person. He says if you're really wise and understanding, you want to demonstrate it the way you live. He goes on to contrast jealousy, selfishness, worldly wisdom with wisdom that's from above. Now, Wisdom that's from above. Does that mean I'm just going to sit here and I'm going I'm to get down in my very peaceful position and I'm going to open myself up and I'm just going to say, Oh Lord, send it to me. Hum. Is, is that what we're talking about? Wisdom from above. But sometimes, sometimes I think that might be some people's solution, maybe without the humming. Lord, just tell me what to do. I have a suggestion for you. He's told you what to do. Look. Look and listen and ask for grace. Look at verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, then open to reason, or willing to yield. is a really great translation of that. Willing to yield. Full of what? Mercy and good fruits. Impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You see what happens when we're spirit-filled? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. When we're word-filled, it demonstrates itself in peacefulness and purity and gentleness and a willingness to be reasoned with. A willingness to yield. I don't have to win every argument. In fact, I can say, fine, fine, unless it's compromising something that's right and true. In which case, we have to stand on the truth. This is what guides our lives. This is what guides our lives. God has spoken, and we will obey. We're not going to turn to the left, and we're not going to turn to the right. This is our guide, what God has told us. This is what we will do. We don't yield away from that, but where there's a difference of opinion, you know, brothers and sisters, a person who has yielded to the wisdom that's from above is pliable. In the Marines, they call it semper gumbi, really flexible. Okay, I don't know if, how flexible you are with your body, but you need to be flexible inside. The last passage that we'll be able to look at is Ephesians 5. We mentioned it briefly earlier when we were not doing a deep, deep dive into this section. Ephesians chapter 5, look at verses 1 and 2. Paul writes, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Walk. He uses the term peripatao. And it has the idea of your manner of life. Live in love. Live. Live. Today, tomorrow, and the next day. Not just for a half hour a day. Not for 45 minutes. It's to live in love. And that love that we're told to live in as imitators of God, as dear children, is the very love that is demonstrated by the Lord Jesus Christ in laying down His life. You see, brothers and sisters, we've been given, given, given a new life. God has granted you as a measure of His good grace a new life. And He tells you, this is what I've done. Know it. Understand that you're dead to sin. And know it you're alive to me. You're alive to me. Don't any longer allow who you were to rule over you with its sinful passions. Don't submit yourself as an instrument of sin to do unrighteousness. But instead, submit yourself unto God as an instrument of righteousness. How does that flesh out? It fleshes out in our homes. It's how a husband loves, guides, cares for, supports, protects his wife. And how a wife cares for, tenderly, lovingly, submissively, her husband. All of us guided by God's Word. All of us empowered by God's Spirit. We have what we need. And yet, while we have all these resources, it's far easier to talk about on Sunday morning than to live out on Monday morning. But we have what we need. And so I challenge you, Along with challenging myself, the new life that God has granted to us must be on display in our homes. We have more to talk about in this regard next time we're together, but for this morning, consider the way that God has given us the ability to live out as husbands and wives the very instructions He's called us to by His powerful, perfect Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, we need Your help. We want to to display to our family members that You've given us new life and that that new life has taken root and that that new life is ruling over us. That Your grace through Your Spirit is ruling over us. Help us, Father, as husbands, husbands, to love our wives and help us, Father, as wives to respect, to love and be tender and to submit to our husbands. We pray, Father, that You'd root out from us selfishness and laziness, a lack of tenderness and uh, any kind of subversive thoughts in our minds that we would display the glorious truths that you have depicted in your word for your glory in Jesus' name, amen.